It might not look like much, but uh, tomorrow, which will be Wednesday, which will be a week before this goes out, uh, thousands of people will be streaming through these, uh, these gates um, into Rail Live. This is, this is the Rail Live episode. You know, it's been a year since the last one. Um, what's changed since last year? Well, a few bits and pieces. You know, this is still fundamentally a, a plant show uh, with a, a kind of a, an international air show twist and vibe with everything sort of in between that the railway can bring. Uh, you know, it's, it's Portbrook who now own the site. This is the Long Marston Rail Innovation Centre now. Uh, I can't remember what it was called before, but it had an equally uh, long convoluted name. Things, quite a few things have changed. I mean, for starters, there's a lot of tarmac and concrete uh, and, and new hardcore around where formerly there were potholes, so that's good. There's all sorts we're going to be looking at today. You know, we're going to be looking at innovations in, in, in kind of freight and passenger, sort of rolling stock, um, uh, Iversholt, Porterbrook, uh, others. Uh, I'm not sure Angel are here. Uh, quite a few innovations like that. Network Rail have got plenty here, you know, all the plant and stuff. But it'd be remiss of me to, to kind of ignore the dark cloud. I know it doesn't look like there's one at the moment, but it'd be remiss of me to ignore the dark cloud that hangs over Rail Live this year because I'm filming this in setup day, which is why there's lots of stuff going on and lots of beeps all over the place. Um, there's a rail strike on now, the first of three days worth of strikes. And you know, full solidarity to the RMT. Um, it's absolute, I think they've been cornered. I lots of people watching this might not share this view, but um, they've been cornered on this one. But that doesn't mean that this is a, you know, this is gonna be an episode of Doom and Gloom. Uh, it's a chance, if you like, you know, Rail Live is a chance to have a look at some of those stories, some of the, work, some of the stories of the workers who are making the railway uh, kind of better, talking about change. There's gonna be a thread running through tonight's episode, kind of looking at sustainability, looking at um, the ways in which we can, uh, the ways in which we can work smarter whilst making the use of the workforce we have. Uh, not a smaller workforce, but there is such a large challenge that we need to be growing our workforce, making the use of the workforce that we have, expanding those skills, making use of the skilled people that we have, and, and expanding those skills and that skills base. So uh, I'm only going to be speaking to people on Wednesday, so the, the non-strike day, that's tomorrow, so the first day of the event. I think probably that's when most people will be here anyway, because that's when the trains will nominally be running, even though... Uh, so we're going to be speaking to lots of people on Wednesday, I hope, uh, and, and, and hearing some of those stories uh, and remembering kind of the way that people, you know, fundamentally people are what make this industry tick. And so that's the plan. Uh, we'll see how it is. As ever, I've no idea how this will stitch together. Um, there is, uh, there's so much to look at. I'm not, it's going to be a bit different to last year. It's not going to be a repeat of last year's episode. I'm not going to do a walkthrough. I'm going to pick on particular things that I think are interesting, talk to some people, you know, a few more chats with interesting people and, uh, and we'll go from there. So uh yeah let's uh let's let's see what happens shall we um i think we're going to just get into it none of this faff that i did last time without further ado welcome to tonight's rail natter The InterCity 225 fades away. Here I am on the main thoroughfare. Um, very much setup time still. There's, there's stuff being assembled around me as we speak. Uh, there is uh, the showrunner himself, Nigel, keeping an eye on things. Um, yeah, people are assembling things. You know, we've got assembly of all sorts of bits and pieces. People are putting the exhibits up. This is going to be less of a, a madcap dash uh, as it was last year. Um, 
this is Tuesday, it's strike day, so I'm not going to be speaking to anyone. I'm not interviewing anyone today. I think that's the right thing to do. Likewise on Thursday. So I'm going to be doing all my interviewing uh, on Wednesday. I'll be doing some filming of B-roll and bits and pieces on the strike days, but I'm not going to speak to anyone. What we are going to do is sort of go through, I think we're going to split into four segments. So I'm going to, in each of those segments, I'm going to pick up, um, kind of have the discussion with, um, uh, going to have right, four segments. Segment number one is going to be um, uh, going through some exhibits, uh, you know, seeing some of the exhibits, the non-plant exhibits that is. So all the various sort of physical things, a lot of it's infrastructure, but there's some, you know, there's, there's other things as well. Um, uh, related to operations and, and, and signaling and, uh, and sort of welfare as well, perhaps that will pick up, but we'll, we'll spot a few of those things. Uh, segment two shall be plant. We shall have a look at plant. Uh, so these things, you know, all this stuff, this is, this is the main thoroughfare, main street, if you like, and I'm surrounded by uh, hundreds of millions of pounds. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the estimate was. Recently, it was, like, it was like three quarters of a billion quid or something bonkers. Anyway, a lot of kit around us. You know, bearing in mind each of these things is the best part of a million quid. You know, how much change from a million quid? Yeah, crikey. Anyway, so the plant. We're going to go and actually speak to some of the teams who run that stuff and, and talk to them about what their stuff does, um, uh, you know, uh, what they've been innovating with, you know, how they're making things more sustainable, uh, that sort of thing. I think there's some exciting stories to tell there. What else? The third, the third of our segments will be trains. We'll go and have a look at some trains. So passenger freight uh, uh, and uh, indeed the inspection and maintenance trains that there are kind of hanging around. So uh, quite a lot to look for there. The last, the fourth and last of our segments shall be people. And we're going to have a speak, uh, a little, little quick uh, speaky session with um, the PWI. Uh, so that'll be good. Have a chat with the PWI, Permanent Institution. Have a chat with NSAR, the National Skills Academy for Rail. Uh, and have a chat with the ORR because I think it'd be interesting to ask with strikes and with the pressure being put on Network Rail, how are the ORR managing and, and being confident about safety going forward? This is a serious challenge, you know, and the ORR finds itself in a, between a rock and a hard place. Government telling it what it wants and the ORR having to deal with, frankly, you know, the, the fact that government's decisions are the opposite of what the ORR wants to happen. So let's see what the ORR say and perhaps do a bit of reading between the lines. Uh, let's let a van go past here because uh, this is, this, it, it's all set up time. You know, I've got my uh, I've got my oranges on, but uh, it's important to make sure that everyone can see me and that I don't get run run over mid filming because that'd be uh, that's supposed quite funny. Anyway, uh, that's the main thoroughfare. Uh, all the plant you can see things are there's a massive multi LED array thing going on there. I, mean, I wonder what that'll end up being. Um, so those are the four segments. We'll then do a bit of a roundup. Uh, I'll probably do a bit of a roundup as I leave on Thursday, in fact. So, um, so that'll be it. Four segments. Uh, it will be exhibits, plant trains and people those are the four segments and um in amongst that we'll see who else we can speak to we might see a few friends in amongst as well so uh that's the plan i'm uh, i'm inside i'm inside a culvert uh or indeed a segment of a culvert and for this segment of the podcast see what i did there very nice uh, for this segment of the podcast we're going to be talking to lots of exhibitors we're going to be going around exploring the exhibitions um, because uh, last year I was running around like a headless chicken this year I'm not going to do that be a bit more targeted but still to give you a feel for some of the things we're seeing um, around the around the event today uh, or rather tomorrow because today is Tuesday and it's setup day which is why there's lots of stuff going on um, but there's no people here whereas tomorrow there will very definitely be lots of people here anyway I'm waffling let's go and have a look and see what's going on shall we Looks like tram uh, in true me style, we're actually going to start uh, with a chat with Noel, 
uh, from Pure and Free that, that I, we actually spoke at the end of Wednesday when both of us were completely exhausted. Um, but uh, for various reasons, the, um, the the video melted. It got pixely and then the files just died. So uh, I got a couple of bits of B-roll from Pure and Free. But actually what I'm going to do is, in the background, play... Uh, well, you can see me and Nigel having a chat here. Uh, I, Nigel gave me a little tour around at the, the end of Tuesday, on the end of the setup day, uh, where I stuck the camera at the back of the little buggy and filmed a bit of the site. So uh, let's have a look at the size of this site and spot a few little Easter eggs in amongst that while we chat with uh, Noel from Pure and Frey. Uh, sorry, Noel, but I suppose people are going to avoid us looking sweaty and exhausted on the end of Wednesday, so um, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Anyway, um, onwards. We're at F&F, we're at Pure and Frey, and uh, Noel is here. Hello, Noel. Hello. I always Hi. come and harass you at Rail Live, yeah, you uh, and I stopped you from getting an ice cream earlier, so, so I... I've now had an ice cream. We've both so, yeah, now had ice creams. Done. Most yes. of it's not in my moustache anymore. Um, <laughs> we started with Lego because there's this nice little display of what Pure and Frey get involved in, which is nice. You know, you've got... I love these, the little, uh, the little sort of charging stations for bus and tram. Inverted, that's, that's quite nice. Uh, inverted pantographs. Let's trot over here because there are two... Okay, hopefully everyone watching this kind of knows, knows the deal of, yep. of what FNF do. So we're going to just talk... And if they don't, frankly, talking about these two products will give them a bit of a summary of the deal, I think. Electric railways. Electric that's railways, yeah, that's yeah, it, done, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, railways. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Electric, you, 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 literally, you, it's a company that embodies the hashtag electrify all the things. 99 years of electrification. It's not bad going, is it? It's not bad going, yeah. So, I'm gonna spin around because behind us is the thing, well, the first thing we're gonna talk yeah. about, which people might have seen it in trial at Wellingborough. Um, here it is. Uh, so yeah. This is yes, is literally from Wellingborough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hacksaws out. It is hacksawed out from Wellingborough. <laughs> uh, taken here. So, uh, yeah, it, in a single paragraph, is if you've not seen this, is conductor bar. You want to bring an electric freight train into a yard. Yeah. How do you do that? How would you, if you've got wires above the track, or well, how do you load, unload? So essentially, with this, a train can come in with its pantograph up. Uh, when it's in, you press a button. Uh, my colleague will press a button. Yeah, beautifully timed. <laughs> and then this just, uh, I don't trust myself with a laptop. Uh, and then this just folds out the way and it interlocks. Uh, I was going to say, it's interlocked with like the depot management system and, yeah, and sort so of. Things like um, gantry cranes. Um, so it, at Bounds Green in North London, it's interlocked Ooh. with gantry yeah. walkways, so you can't even walk up the stairs to the top of the train uh, unless it's. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's and good. It, and it goes into earthing points, so it's just earth and safe to use. So, yeah, we've done these in depots. Um, so if you picture you want to get uh, an air conditioning unit out the top of a train, um, you can just move this out of the way, get your gantry crane in, and it's really doing it for freight. So yeah, that's the big yeah. term plan is how do you get the UK to consider uh, electric freight? Yeah, just is, wired last mile, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End-to-end yeah. -end freight journeys. And yeah, we've, we've done so much work on just trying to convince people that if you're wiring like the middle of main line, perhaps consider if we want to decarbonize the UK yeah. in do the yeah. do the connecting track <laughs> work as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure not, uh, yeah. so let's whiz let's whiz this way so, so that's yeah. that's there it's, yeah. it's exciting to see that frankly because I'm in the process of specking that for so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. For another depot, which I can't talk about because I'd have to kill everyone who's watching this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the other thing here, now I can't pick it up with one hand, but Noel yeah, can yeah, pick, because yeah. this will hint as to what it is. <laughs> look, this, this, this. <laughs> yeah. oh, that is a section of, I'm going to stand over here and yeah, use yeah. my other hand. It's a section of, well, what is it? Tell, tell us about it. Oh, it looks, it's an overhead line nice. mast, so if you picture uh, a traditional H or I section, uh, steel yeah, mast. So if I come down here and show you the uh, section, it's, it's not that. Yeah, so it's, uh, this is a solid square, exactly. but it's composites, so yep. 
um, and that's just a lot lighter. So this is it's about 80% weight reduction. This is 12 kilos. Uh, so a, a one a steel mast this size would be about 80. So yeah, you need a, a couple of people to lift it. So it's kit. In, it's in terms of installation. It's much easier to install. Yeah, it's just, a lighter bit of kit. There is there. You just picture you know just the size of the plant you need when it's that much different so the full size one here is uh 80 kilos so you, yeah. you're going to something that's half a ton so the meter of 80 ton. kilo steel to the whole thing yeah. in composite being 80 kilos there yeah. is above our head very nice yeah, so uh, it's yeah, a yeah. six meter mast, so it's a full size electrification mast. Yeah, and it's 80 rather than like 450 or so yeah. kilos, so it's so, a big old saving. So, yeah, we did carry it here, three of us off the back of the lorry. <laughs> yeah, Wouldn't yeah. recommend it, but it is, uh, yeah, it's yeah, that's possible. not the approved working yeah, practice approved, for this. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, process, but yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's a big thing. And the other thing is um, embodied carbon, so electrification is great. It's the only real way to decarbonise the railways um, that you can just do now with technology available. Um, but there is a carbon cost to actually doing the work. You, you yep. build concrete foundations, steel foundations, steel masts. There's obviously, yeah, embodied carbon with that. So if yep. you can reduce it, that speeds up your payback period. So this is yep. about 75% reduction in Interesting. Uh, embodied carbon. So it's okay. a massive, that's huge, um, a massive saving. And that's probably the bigger thing with this is just how much saving. So a typical railway. Um, is a three, four year embodied carbon payback. payback. This is going to be a lot less when you factor it in with smaller foundations. It's yeah, maybe one or two years. So oh, really? really? So it has the have that's so, massive. Yeah, it's yeah. a massive thing. It's just the carbon of making uh, large steel sections, large, large uh, pieces of steel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they've both been fun. They've been good projects to work on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was going to say, and I think they quite neatly embody kind of what FNF do in terms of like innovating, yeah. keeping things moving, but also continuing to hunt for the way to desperately get people to accept electrification on that. It's like, okay, fine, we'll come up with another way to make your life easier. <laughs> oh, here's another way to make your life easier. Look, we're doing our best here. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Whenever I speak anyone in the DFT in network rail they all know uh, yeah electrification is the way to go it's convincing the pay people who hold the purse strings is the, uh, the challenge it's treasury yes um, no you weren't gonna say that but I, I, I am can and will and um, yeah no, no thanks thanks that no that's great that's great and um, and and ex serious export value as well there's it, without saying who like there are some people not just very it's likely to see some so, yeah, orders fairly soon yeah yeah building fully electric railways from scratch. HS2 is obviously one in the UK, yeah. but yeah, plenty of other people are doing But, but even specifically, you're, you're, you're snazzy, particularly the-, yeah, the, yeah, the freight, yeah. So the freight, the, uh, the, the retractable, people, yeah. you've got people very Looking interested. Far yeah. ahead and actually building electric freight railways is, yeah. is an amazing, is amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Nice one. Oh, thanks, Noel, that's Cheers, great. Gareth. Eduardo, um, I've been visiting Yeltec with my day job hat on for as long as you've been at Rail Live. I remember the first time I came, Essentially, I think it was just the uh, the, the temperature sensor and the, the original large version that was on the table. And now we're surrounded by fantastic-looking whiz gigs. Um, tell me about well, what, what's the what's the latest thing? You, you, every year there's something some exciting new thing that is genuinely useful for me in my day job as a design engineer. So, what's the latest bit of kit that you've got that you that you want to talk about yeah. on this on this table of whiz jigs? Uh, absolutely. So, thanks for opening. Uh, by the way, so as as you mentioned, technology as an engineering technological company, technology keeps moving on on a day to day basis, and we think the the way forward is to continue innovating. Yeah. Obviously, competition is very very fierce out there. Therefore, the way that we compete is by looking at new technology, what's coming and what's not, what's the, what's the requirement from the customer, and from then, obviously, try to develop. So we have a, a team of engineers that are looking at to what problems uh, we can solve, 
uh, with the technology that we have available, the technology that is coming. And that's why you can see new products. We have a, a rail gauge uh, monitor. Yeah, the optical one, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the buckle and sensor, okay, yeah. yeah. Vibration monitoring and uh, void monitoring. And it's a new ah, technology. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the void yeah, monitor. Yeah. Interesting, right. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also working in partnership with other companies, we have introduced a, a new camera, AI camera, which basically tells you about for trespassing. Okay, and yeah. uh, the software is very powerful, so you can set up any um, distinguishing color, person, animal, etc. And you can choose to, to alarm accordingly. So uh, yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's, it's all about innovation, partnership. Yeah, well, this is it. Well, you said, uh, you know, I was, I was chatting, to, chatting to you and the team earlier, and it's like, you know, a bunch of engineers come along and say, oh, I've got this issue. And you go right. Okay, we can we can we probably do something about that. We can and help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. so for all the PO engineers out there, hello, uh, Yeltech, come and ask if you've got a particularly gauging. Uh, this is the, the Yeltech will solve your problem. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice one. Hey, thanks, Eduardo. That's no terrific. All right. Nice one. Good. Cheers. Thank Cheers. You. Right, everyone. Uh, yeah, I've come over to uh, to Jura Composites, which I got very excited about last year. I think particularly Nora. In fact, the, the crew just came and told me that I was very excited about Nora. Um, so that's good. Uh, I'm here with uh, with Tom and Stuart. Tom and Stuart are here. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things, a few products. Uh, very briefly, I'm going to come around here so we can see us. But we're, we're all here. Um, firstly, behind us is is a platform, right? It's a it's an assembled platform. Well, uh, chaps, tell tell me about the platform. Why is this one exciting? Because this 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 bit on top, this this isn't new. You've been doing this for a long while. So uh, tell us why the bit at the bottom is. Now I'm going to try and frame the shot sensibly. If, if you want to, was was I'll stand there. There we are. Uh, yeah, tell us about it. Okay, so already as you know, award-winning Queen's award-winning um, patented railway platform system, and um, where we've been concentrating on overlay systems. Um, However, the market's now pushing for a free-spanning structure that's composite, gets away from all the issues of corrosion, rot, it's lightweight, manhandleable. Yeah, yeah. But the biggest problem is, is the standard is a six-meter span. And unfortunately, in the composite world, we haven't been able to hit network rail specifications for a six-meter span. So we've actually developed a beam system, 400 by 200 I-beam. Come down here just to show everyone this. Now we'll span and fully compliant six-meter pile cap to pile cap. So for the first time, we can actually offer um, with minimal groundworks and uh, competing with existing steel systems and um, a full composite solution for network rail. And the advantage of this compared to, I mean, people, it, it looks a bit like steel, right? People see this, oh, it looks like steel, yeah? Which I suppose is a high compliment, maybe. But the key thing is that steel rots and it's also got lots of hidden critical elements, little bits and pieces that can't get in and looked at, inspected. It's, it's harder to maintain, whereas this is... And being non-conductive. Um, yeah. So a lot of the earth strapping doesn't need to go on. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing, in fact, we spoke, we spoke to one of our biggest customers today and he said the beam being six meters as long as 200 kilos means that it is manhandleable on site with a team of manpower rather than having to bring in uh, RRVs, RRVs and, and training and, and stuff like that yeah um, so for him it's a game changer that especially on those where access is tight and you need to be fast um, minimizing disruption for the end client then it's an absolute game changer for him that he can manhandle these on site fantastic so so that's I mean very exciting hopefully see some of that in some of the various platform alterations and upgrades we're going to be seeing in new stations perhaps um, over the next um, well, soon, hopefully. But there is, there is, there are other things you wanted to show. So there is. Tell us about this behind us, because this, this, I think you were saying this kind of tells the story uh, quite nicely about um, uh, of the way that Jura works, the way that you develop your products. Yeah. So, um, so this is really finding the solution um, to an, uh, a new and upcoming problem that has been on the network already, um, but is becoming more and more prevalent. And that is the front of train wash. And um, so at the moment we know that 
that water has to be captured off of the front of the train. It can't be putting chemicals and water directly onto the track. Yeah. Um, so in this, uh, systems that are available on the market are non-structural, are extremely large, the length of the train, and are harvesting huge amounts of rainwater. Yeah. So it deals yeah. with another problem of now you've got large volumes that might have potential chemicals in to dispose of rather than um, just the small just amount of the hose. Yeah. Um, so this product's actually been developed from the ground up to be structural. Um, it integrates with an existing 5 kilonewton walkway um, and it actually has a 5 kilonewton loading rating on it so you can continuously walk over this without causing any damage. Nice. Um, and in effect what we're doing is we're capturing the front of train wash and holding it in a trap um, that deals with the silt and then can be easily disposed of and because it's so small, we're not harvesting rainwater. It means that that 90% of it evaporates. However, it's actually being emptied via the CET. Very nice. Yeah, the controlled emission tanks for yeah, everyone. That's the way the toilets get emptied by trains. What that then means is we have no disruption from the track down. So the installation process becomes super quick, captures a small amount of water and can be dealt with locally rather than harvesting huge amounts of water and then having a, a secondary problem on how to deal with that. So this now gets me excited because this gets me excited for day job reasons because I'm working on depots at the moment. So uh, anyway, that's, that's by the by. But anyway, yeah, that's fantastic. I will be putting B-roll in of actually showing you what we're talking about momentarily. Um, excellent. Oh, thanks, thanks for that, Tom. That's great. Um, so let's, I'll tell you what, let's walk over to the... To, to kind of ask, people might have the question why 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 composite why not timber let's wander over to the dagger boards since since they became so famous last time god Stuart, you, you, you come and join us we've not spoken to you thanks tom that's great we're going to talk about timber versus composite why do why do people why, why should people make the decision you know, which is better from environmentally from a asset management perspective uh here we are there the the, the, the the platform dagger boards look very nice yeah there we are they're very nice well, so well you asked the question why why composite instead of timber and it's also a question of because what we have been a little bit secretive about is that there are quite a few other companies that use GRP for this yes. solution. And yeah. We actually have a patented different material that um, has got a foam core, super light. And the advantage over timber is that it doesn't rot ever, and you can machine it as, um, um, using the word machine, you can machine it on a large scale using a CNC machine that is just brilliant. And very difficult to set up, but once it's set up, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, um, some people, especially heritage, um, on, diff on different types of um, applications, go back to timber because it needs to look like timber. It needs yeah. to have the aesthetic, yeah. and that's where this comes in. So we've managed yeah. to go past and through those heritage challenges over to this. And what I was going to say was that um, this this material is um, something like three or four times lighter than oh. GRP. Oh, really? Ah, okay, yeah, So yeah. instead of um, providing it in sheets that are manhandleable, that are this size, we can now provide them in sheets that are more handleable that are this size, three or four times the size. Which is an accelerated so installation. It goes much quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So everyone's happy, especially the end user, because their, st their station is disrupted less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Stuart, uh, and also Tom, who's, who's busy again speaking to other customers. This, this is fantastic. Thanks so much for that. Um, Driver access platform. We, oh, I tell you what, yeah, that's a good point. Let's go and speak about the driver access platform. So behind here is is a driver access platform. Um, tell us about this. Tell us, tell us, tell us um, what the problem statement was about this and and what this what this solves. Well, what what we're doing here is driver access platforms, of course, aren't that new, but using GRP technology is new. But what we've done is um, really listening to the problems on the ground about access, about. Um, you know, even taking equipment up and around the uh, around the um, driver platform, there used to have be clashes, for example. Yeah, we've yeah. managed to make sure that we can embed lighting into the platform, and we've managed to take note of the um, 
absolute space requirements that um, that do exist. It's, they always have to fit into incredibly tight spaces. I've, as I, again, said depot I'm working on, you have such a tight space to fit platforming in, and it is a real challenge. So, yeah. so we've been lucky enough that the um, train operating company we're, we're working with bring in the people on the ground to our premises and talk about their issues. So instead of having, yeah, I think this is the spec, which always happens and then it gets on site yeah. and then people moan about it because it's not quite right. We've tried to engineer it through all the people that are going to use it rather than um, um, take it to site and then learn afterwards. So that's, that's been a massive change on that. And it's not dissimilar to EnviroSump actually. Again, working with um, train operating company, um, we developed the product through their so through their problem that they were facing. Nice. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good way for it's, it to work. I, I often moan about innovation because it's you know you see the tech tech side innovation is often like let's invent a problem and then and then and then make money off a solution. This is on the railways. It's the opposite way around. This innovation comes from you know uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. This is coming from problems that need solving, and so it, it has a use case from the from the go. It, re it really resonates with us because um, we've just rewritten our vision and it's um, to solve impossible infrastructure infrastructure problems sustainably. So it's all about solving the problems that people have got that are on a big scale and doing a sustainable way. So that's nice. that's what we're all about, and that's how this comes comes through. Nice one, Stuart. Thanks so much. That's brilliant. So there's a kind of a thread running through um, as ever. Whenever I'm at Rail Live, there's threads of like people championing sustainability. We're, we're at, I'm at the Aqua stand, by the way. Aqua do all sorts of drain, fantastic drainage stuff. So you know, and I, in fact, I came over. I remember getting excited about the Aqua stand specifically about. Um, catch pits that have a swingable lid it's like genius rather than just being loosely fitted they've got a hinge they open up genius um you know so you know that, that the threads running through there the sustainability people pushing the envelope as much as they can to reduce whole life carbon cost uh you know reduce the the amount of heavy kit needed so you reduce the amount of fuel being burned uh, you know you you reduce the the you reduce boots and bounce to improve safety and ultimately all that is, is good stuff for sustainability um this is quite nice, isn't it? You know, catching, you know, reducing flow rates, uh, managing flow rates rather, catching silt, all the nice things. Um, yeah, I, I just got to get the Aqua logo in the background because they've got some nice, you know, drainage is very important. But actually, um, one of the more interesting things that I've, uh, I've spotted um, is, uh, is over at Scott Parnell, who often have, you know, the most mundane little things. Oh, I, I get angry about innovation being, uh, you know, tech innovation being, uh, you know, inventing problems and then coming up with solutions to it. Um, Scott Parnell have been doing some quite interesting, hi, thanks Aqua. Scott Parnell have been doing some very interesting stuff. Every year I come, there's something new, some new whiz gig. But let's, um, let's go and speak to them to see what, what, what new and strange innovation they've come up with that I want to share with you. Right, I've come over to Scott Parnell, as promised. Um, here we are, we're with Carl, who is going to talk to us about what I can describe it as his giant uh, carbon spaghetti, dry spaghetti, but it is not that. Uh, Carl's going to tell us what it actually is. Absolutely not. What it actually is, is 95% recycled plastic waste. And it looks like spaghetti. Yeah. Um, and it does... And it does have that vibe, it but, does. but it's a bit more useful. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? But because it looks like spaghetti, it gives us this strength to keep ballast open and keeps an open void structure yeah. within ballast that gets silted up. So what we're seeing here today is the water, unlike a pipe... Yeah, we can come down and have a look. You can yeah, see, yeah, yeah. unlike a pipe, a pipe requires a full moon to look through. You don't need the full moon with this product. So we're actually proving here that water really can go uphill. I was going to say, you've got it at an angle to just show that it's naturally flowing kind of up and out at the other end. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. So as the water's meandering through the products and we, we bring it to the other end, it's there cascading out. Yeah. Now what's interesting about this 
this could be typically a waterfall coming down an embankment to cause a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, and a waterfall yeah. that perhaps wasn't there yesterday. So how do you diffuse it? So we take the leaky dam principle by changing the product in the other way. And there you go. You've now actually created, diffused the pressure of the water yeah. and created a leaky dam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whilst at the same time enabling the water to be taken to a carrier drain where it will be dispersed. So one of the interesting things we're talking about is, so we can see this kind of on, on its end here, but you're talking about the fact that this can double up as kind of do do more than one job at once. If you lay it flat, it can act as a as like a geotextile and a, and a, and a, a kind of a, a geogrid as well. So if we look at this little unit behind here. Yeah, here we are. So what we have here is we've now taken the product on its flat and we've covered it in ballast and gritty sand and everything so to prove why doesn't it stick it doesn't the, the silts don't stick to the product because it's plastic and it's inert so it goes through so if we show a bucket of water here pour that over there you can see all the silts are actually being flushed through the product. So you still manage the silts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The silts go at a slower rate to the water. So the idea is get rid of the water, let it flow, let the silts follow behind. And the big win, of course, is when there is then a heavy flush, it flushes the entire system through. I see. And you've got this this sort of so so in terms of the geo the geo set the geo grids uh, behavior. This is this is a plastic, so it means the ballast pressure the ballast. You know the big big chunks of ballast embed into this and lock in the matrix of the ballast. So you're Absolutely. getting that double that so double behavior. It basically works on the caking principle where Carl von Terzaghi, who was the uh, Austrian soil mechanic back in the 1800s, basically established that the caking principle where you keep the large particles out, let the small fines through. Flow through yeah, and what yeah, you're yeah. seeing is the modern day 21st century version are using plastic waste, which would otherwise go to landfill. Yeah, I was going to say, it's 95, nominally 95%, but actually it's a little, it's, it's kind of arguably a little bit more than that. So, so, yeah. so we're actually um, giving landfill and plastic waste a purpose. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. So when, when this is on the other way up or in different applications, everything from the crest, flumes, tow of the ballast, in the cess, in the six foot, catch pit to catch pit, spurs into the shoulder. It's keeping the ballast open to enable the water to uh, be conveyed down to the carrier drains. Yeah, yeah, and managing those flow rates. Carl, that's fantastic, really, really. It's, it's incredibly exciting to see this. I look forward to specifying it in, in my next design. Uh, nice one. Thanks, Cheers, Carl. Carl. Right, so we're at Network Rail. Uh, we are at the, uh, the Network Rail village, as they call it. I'm going underneath the giant inflatable thing. I think it might be the same one as they used last time. I hope it is. Come on, you don't need to rebuild new things every time. Anyway, there's all sorts here. So, um, for example, we have uh, Nick Millington's task force, the the um, the track safety. I can't remember. It's the safety task force uh, with the primary aim. They've got several aims, but one of the one of the aims is to just get rid of red zone working, to get rid of uh, working, you know, lookout and, and in amongst f trains. Uh, their aim is to totally get rid of it because. Uh, and they've, they've been working on this since uh, since the series of fatalities we had a couple of years ago. Um, and since they've been pushing, the, the, the task force has been doing their thing, 
Funnily enough, uh, serious injuries and near misses, most critically, uh, I think the key thing is the near miss rate has just plummeted. So anyone saying, oh, you know, red zone is actually safe, you know, it isn't, and we need to get rid of it. And that's what they're doing. And it's quite successful as well. So there's all sorts in there. And I wanted to show you, I wanted to show you a couple of the nice, little clever little innovations that are really daftly simple. Uh, and these are absolutely one of them, which is, uh, these are the plates that sit on top of sleepers, right? To give you your, you know, they are the, uh, the, the one 200 up relief fine. But more critically, I think better is actually this one, this, it's a magnet strip shove it on the web, the web of the rail and it allows you to see uh, which the two tracks are. So gone are the days of the costs who's actually pretending they know the area they don't, uh, having to fob, it, fob, fob off the, the, their, their working crew, not that anyone does that of course. Um, they've got a label, it can be, it can be, you know, they can see exactly which track is which and know which, which line is, um, is the line they're supposed to be working from and actually know where they're supposed to be. So really clever little bit of innovation that, I like that. I mean, it's, Call it innovation, not really innovation. It's doing a magnetic strip with a, with some words on it, but it's clever stuff. Um, and there's all sorts there's all sorts of clever kit around here. So I'll, I'll kind of um, yeah I'll, I'll leave these, this this uh, team in peace and quiet. But yeah, the safety task force uh, kind of that's they're, they're doing all sorts of things. Just and that came by the way that came from. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna show you because it's on the table. It should be on the table. Over is it? It's not on the table. It came from just a. It came from just have a, a, someone submitting it as an idea. Um, so really kind of. Uh, exactly what you want to see people coming up with clever little ideas and then rolling them out while i'm walking this way it's worth just saying yes uh people are, you know network rail might be considered by some as persona non grata at the moment but the reality is this, this the strikes are not network rails uh, not of network rails doing they're of governments doing network rail are piggy in the middle so um you know there's a lot of staff here i'm quite pleased with there are quite a few rmt i've said this i think a few times it's quite nice to see some rmt tabards around <laughs> so anyway right so there's uh, all sorts of safety stuff going on behind there. We've got lots of bits of innovative kit sitting around. Uh, oh, this, now this, this is very cool and very clever. Behind me here is, I'm gonna walk in, behind me here is this tended stuff. This is, so I got excited about geofencing when I first rode on an e-scooter. I was like, ooh, geofencing, all cars should have this. Well, they should. But what I hadn't thought of is the potential for safety. And these are super accurate. They're super position accurate to the point where they make that noise if you cross the rail into the into an adjacent line that might be open. So these are, they're essentially doing, they're, they're to augment the job of, of the site warden, as it were, who kind of taps you on the shoulder or shouts at you if you go somewhere that isn't safe. This kit is, yeah, everyone has it, and it just buzzes you if you're in the wrong place. Just really clever little bit of, of safety kit. Just just really, really clever bit. So that's geofencing, geofencing in action, which is quite good. I'm gonna put my arm there so that it doesn't burn off with uh, lactic acid. I'm going to keep going this way. Uh, there's a nice big tent for feedback. You know, Zolner over there with their various bits of sort of um, uh, train operated warning systems and things. Uh, you can see everyone here just back on park benches enjoying themselves. Um, I, I promised everyone that this would be less of like less of my bald chest um, this year, but uh, hopefully there's enough of me doing sort of like tripoded shots. Anyway, right, let's keep going along here. Uh, there's all sorts of bits of clever kit. This is an autonomous testing vehicle. This is a weird autonomous vehicle. I presume this is a testing thing, it doesn't look big enough to actually do anything. Got the EU flag on there as well. Um, also, there's the, the nice, they're, they're showing RRV sort of doing its thing behind as well, sort of, you know, doing whatever it is this RRV has decided it wants to do. Um, there's the road flip there. We're going to come to that. We're going to come back to this uh, gazebo momentarily. First, though, we're going to uh, hold this again and rest this arm. We're going to walk this way. Um, we're going to have a look at the road fleet because there's quite a lot of you know, the reality is that Network Rail um, need to move their staff around, not on the railway, to get them to site, uh, particularly in remote areas. Um, and so there's, well, there's something quite interesting over there that I might, uh, 
I'll tell you what, I'm just going to rotate around and show you behind me what this thing is, because it's the nice network rail village thing, but it's framing, framing something that you can see in the background there if you want to enjoy that. There we go. So anyway, I'm waffling. Behind us here is the fleet. And what's interesting about this fleet is that network rail are thankfully thinking about the fact that, okay, we have all these road vehicles. How are we going to get them around and try and reduce our emissions because we want to be a zero uh zero emission sort of you know net zero or rather actual zero um within a reasonable time scale these are all electric vehicles all of them are electric vehicles so there's a range you know there's a range of like the sort of the various you've got the the, the the sort of the big truck thing for the rugged outdoors and you've got the instant officer vehicles all these uh electric vehicles so that's quite cool uh, what else have we got we got fugo hello to fugo and the and uh, rail, uh kind of ryla here have they renamed it? Have they renamed it from Rail Data to something else? No, I don't know. Anyway, there's a nice classic Aquarius Defender there with, with the Ryla date in front of us. That's quite interesting. Let's wander this way. Um, so that's, yeah, what else have we got? Uh, I've been chatting for six minutes already. Good grief. Maybe I'll chop this up. So we're going towards the gazebo tent over here. It's, it's, more, like a, it's more like a building. It's quite, quite substantial. Right, oh, look, Jura Composites are over here. Yeah, Jura with their, you can't see that. There's Jura with their, with their platform. So, let's go in here and have a look. What do we have? Uh, we've got NRDD. My uh, design colleagues within, within Network Rail is NRDD. They do design of all sorts of things, usually early grip stage stuff that then lands on the desk of a, of a, a kind of a, a consultant designer like me. What have we got? We've got commercial procurement here. Well, everyone knows what they do, right? They, they, they buy things. What else have we got? So we've got intelligent infrastructure. Uh, there is the R&D portfolio of intelligent infrastructure. And there's intelligent infrastructure. Uh, Sentinel, who manage uh, track worker competence. There's Sentinel, um, Asset Information Services. Everyone's mean about Asset Information Services, but they're, they're getting there. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, training. So we've got Network Rail training over here. How do you train staff? So behind here you have uh, various bits and pieces. It's quite snazzy bits of training kit. Um, and oh, look, if you want to do an interview, if, you, if anyone's wanting to do an interview, look, here's the. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, what else have we got? Uh, technical services. So um, here you have lots of actual bits of gubbins here. So if I hold up, the, the, you can see there's all the gubbins sort of here. And I'm going to stand over here and sort of show you some of the things that are. So yeah, there's various bits of technical whiz giggery here with te technical services running. And uh, the, uh, the air team are over the other side as well. So there's quite a lot of, bit of bits of network rail kit innovation. But the name of the game here is a lot of the stuff that they're running here is, um, is, is, is trying to bring sustainability into, sustainability into everything and getting rid of emissions. Uh, and not just emissions, but the bigger, kind of the bigger, broader picture as well. You know, there's the old adage, and it's, it's, it's careful not to be misused, but the, you know, the boots off ballast thing. It's not boots off ballast as in you get rid of those staff. As I said, as I've said throughout this video, it's about redeployment. It's about those skilled people making better use of them because frankly, we cannot, you know, we have half the number of track workers per mile today than we had at nationalization back in the middle of the last century. You know, half the number, that's, we had, back in 1948, we had 12, uh, we had 12 railway workers per mile of, 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 uh, of staffing or right the way across the sector. So that's drivers and everything included. Now we only have six. So we have half the number of people working on the railway per mile of railway that we have. And so, and the only way we've achieved that thus far is technology. And given the challenges are only escalating, uh, we need to be making better use of all those, all those people to keep the railway running, dealing with the triple whammy of like uh, a degrading asset, climate change, battering things, and the fact that we want to run more trains. So the challenge is there to be had and, you know, see it as an opportunity perhaps. Anyway, that was my network rail kind of wandering waffle. There's the network rail thing. I have visited your network rail. Anyway, there we are.
Um, well, I am decidedly inside the best part of a million quid's worth of kit. Uh, crikey. Uh, thanks to, to Van Helen and the reliability team for letting me perch up here for this silly little link. Um, yeah, right, this bit. So we've had, uh, either before or after we have had, uh, or are about to have, segments on the, the various exhibits, the kind, of the, the, the kind of the static exhibitors with their various bits of, you know, whiz gigs and gibbety crippets and, and bits of platform and culvert and what have you. Uh, we will or are about to have a segment on, on rolling stock, uh, on trains, you know, whether it's passenger, freight, operation, blah, blah, blah. Um, this bit is about the backbone of the show, really. Fundamentally, this is a, it's a plant show. It's talking about this, you know, there's, there's hundreds of millions of pounds worth of, of yellow or orange kit uh, on site uh, at Rail Live. And I want to go and speak to some of the teams who, who, who you know, who run this stuff, who, who lease this stuff out um, to kind of, and there's, there's, you know, this stuff is, all of it looks very new, which means it's clearly, you know, there's clearly innovation behind this. So. Uh, let's dig into it and go and speak to a few of the teams um, who actually uh, run this stuff. Um, so this is the plant segment. Mm. So there's a huge range of, of you know yellow plants to choose from, but I've come over to the QTS uh, sort of stand, partly because they just have an enormous range. I mean, look behind me. There's a, an enormous sort of. This, I think this creates bales from from vegetation. Uh, I'm going to talk about vegetables in a minute. You've got this enormous compactor. That's the the, the, the most effective compactor there is to choose from for, for rail applications at the moment. Uh, one of its kind, or the only one of its kind, uh, this type. I was watching them apply the uh, transfers yesterday. Uh, anyway, QTS. Vegetation clearance is uh, it's not just politically dubious, uh, challenging and tricky for you know, local stakeholders. It's also enormously logistically um, complex and expensive and complicated and challenging and tricky because you've got to survey what you need to clear. You've got to make sure that you're not wrecking any habitats you know as part of that process you've got to make sure that the geotechnical consequences are, are you know there, there aren't any going to be any serious uh, geotechnical consequences you've also got to get in chop down often quite dangerous bits of vegetation that might fall into the railway you've got to deal with all the stuff that that's, that's there afterwards and so all this kit here it gives you examples of different ways to manage that so you know the the more uh, the, the kind of that, this high-tech kit this innovative kit is, is to control that process to minimize the risk of stuff falling over to deal with the consequence you know to find ways to minimize how tricky it is to kind of get that stuff off site um and indeed the massive vegetation compactor here that's behind me here look at this look vegetation inside a compactor um yeah, working out where to put it and how, how, you, how you get rid of the stuff. So uh, let's have a quick look around. Also, there's the, the QTS do loads of other stuff. So, you know, they've got this this this, this vac behind. Uh, they've got uh, they've got another bit of kit here for removing sort of stuff. You can see the big sort of uh, robot arm there for getting rid of things. So it's, it's huge smash. And then you sort of the standard too. You've got you've got a road railer behind. There's a nice road railer. Um, and, and indeed, this this bit here. This is this also a road railer. This enormous enormous machine behind. So. All sorts of different size kit. This is just a sample of the sort of the various sort of things that, that, that QTS provide. But yeah, um, quite a lot of impressive vegetation management stuff um, here from QTS. So yeah, interesting to have a look uh, and see how to make this process less complicated and a bit more safe. So I've come down to McCulloch Group. Um, these are these are quite iconic vehicles. I think people generally everyone at Rail Lives knows knows McCulloch. But um, What's new? What, what, what else have you been adding to the repertoire and the, and well, the fleet? The panel lifters, these are the, the latest versions. So we've gone from 8 ton to 9 ton. And we've mm. got the next iteration of that is up to 10 and 20 Oh, wow. Oh, crikey. So that's almost like you get into the point of major like switch panel, like huge well, we, bits. We do. We have got a switch um, 
moving version of this. So we've got a method of doing this okay. with three of these, but yes, it's to lip with yeah. the switches. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're obviously we're going, well, we're not going, but the main drag of our, the main bread and butter is RTRTs, which is the smaller machines. The smaller ones there, yeah. Behind, yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got an electric version on here. Yeah, I spotted, and it's got. I'll, I'll, I'll fill a bit of B-roll in a minute, but it's got. Yeah, Williams have been involved as well, and in, in, in developing it, Williams, which is quite cool. Yeah, it's the part of Williams that do the electric, so they've developed the yep. batteries and helped develop the batteries. Ah, yeah. So that's um, that's a prototype, <laughs> but obviously we're going to move it forward, which is is going to be an advantage for for um, not just for the environment. Working in tunnels and, and other things. It's, it gets tunnels when you've got a genset. Well, gensets are noisy as well, so there's, there's a noise element, but also it gets smoky. It's not as, as, as pleasant a place to work. And, yeah. and the other thing about our machines is that although the, a lot of them are diesel and the electric, they run off hydraulics. So the actual power, the motion power is electric, hydraulic, mm. so you can run hydraulic tools off it. Ah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You've got the electric motor, hydraulic takeoff, so you're not creating the same sort of missions that you would have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one, which you can't see, but I'm sure you'll come to later, yeah. is, the, um, is the Infinity. Yes, yeah, but, tell me about the Infinity. I, I, I'm... Well, the, the initial version of that was the, the TR, the TCT, which was rolling out cable drums. Yeah, uh, big, drums. big drums. Yeah, yeah. Picks them up, and instead of pulling the, the cable... It just, it, it would trundle along, yeah, unroll, yeah, rolling yeah, out the... the yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a lot quicker than, than pulling cable. Um, but what we've done is we've further developed that now. So the Infinity actually takes a, a standard pallet. So if you've got a standard Euro pallet, yeah. you can move anything. Uh, okay. Um, I don't know if you've come across the, the portals that fall down. Yeah. Have seen those? Yeah. Um, our last demonstration day that we had at Tuxford, um, we had one of those on the pallet. So oh, you okay. take those folded down and move them. Ah. And, and the beauty of that is you don't need the rail to do it. Because the track vehicles. Because the, yeah, they're tracked. Yeah, yeah. Well, nice. I mean, innovation is really part of our DNA. It's something that we we, we really push. I mean, McCulloch has gone from strength. I remember earlier rail lives when it was still had. I don't. I still haven't asked if they've got an iron brew in the fridge, but we'll get there. Um, you know, earlier it was like you know really successful, but it was still like, and it, only in a very short space of time. Suddenly they were, they were in New York. The New York Transit had them, and they're now they're hugely international. Well, so Success is in Australia and New York, Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia. Um, we've got we've got machines. Quite a big part of the world, I and mean, obviously that's that's another big part of it. it we don't deliver work. No, it's providing the machines Overseas, to yeah yeah yeah. Provide the machines. yeah and it's and it's you know like so many machines around uh, rail life quite unique you know, these are very unique looking uh, very tailor-made but but as a result of being tailor-made for rail they're incredibly popular so it's like a, oh wait we don't need to use stuff that's really not designed to do this thing you can design a tool to do this task and do it really well yeah, and, that, and that's and safer you know it's it's, it's they are safe I mean yeah. um, they are unique there are no other machines like that no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very cool. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Ray, thanks so much for that. No Good problem. chat. Nice one. So if I just walk into, into the Van L and Railability uh, sort of uh, compound, I'll I, I ask myself the question, how many different ways can you uh, smack things into the ground? Uh, which is an important question, uh, particularly in a railway where lots of our things need to be held down or investigated or uh, require some form of kind of substantial foundation. Uh, the answer is many ways, and uh, by their own admission, the, the Railability and Van L folks have said, well, we haven't got all of our kit here, so it's just merely we're scratching the surface. But uh, one of the things you do is, is drill an enormous hole. So that's useful, you drill an enormous hole. Behind me is a device, this enormous thing. Look at it, it's huge. 
that is a device for putting in sheet piles. So you know, sheet piles that kind of protect a, you know, a, an earthwork. If you want to kind of cut into an existing earthwork to put something like a safe position, position safety, for example, or something like that. What else have we got? We've got, uh, you know, sometimes we drill holes in the ground, not because we want to put things in them, or at least put things in that we want to keep there, but because we want to understand what's actually in the ground first, putting something more substantial in. So, you know, you've got a pile in a kind of a little ground investigation rig here. Uh, above my head is a thing for, for either ground investigation, look, there it is above my head, ground investigation or for uh, ground remediation. So, what, you know, for treating the ground so to be better at supporting things. Uh, what have we got behind here? Oh, yeah, the other thing we've got is, um, is this, this device here, which, in fact, if I come around and show you it, uh, this is a thing for, for holding up the woolly masts behind you can see the nice little uh, green grip there to make sure you don't make a mess of the thing you're picking up. Uh, pick that up and attach it to whatever you've just piled a hole for. So yeah, all manner of different devices. This is just one, as, as the team here said, this is merely scratching the surface of the sorts of things that they uh, can offer. Uh, I was sat in that thing for a, the, the, introducing this segment moments ago and um, each of these bits of kit is, you're not getting much loose change for a million quid. So that's one, two, three, four four million quid just sort of surrounding me it's quite spectacular really that's that's ten of my house and some oh crikey anyway um vanel uh yeah worth uh, just a little exploration of the sorts of things that are around here so i've been coming to real life for years and years and um walk down this sort of this sort of uh, segment there there are several bits of iconic looking pieces of kit and um mcculloch who we have or are about to speak to um have their kind of uh, panel lifters and rail lifters the, the the other iconic looking bit of kit is the stuff is, is what we see over at ggr group the spider looking these these i'll put some b-roll up as well these incredible things so i thought for once rather than walking past it looking incredulous i can actually speak to the team and ask them about it so i've, I've got paul uh, paul here particularly and barry as well i think uh paul so these kit they look spectacular but they're very unique looking as well. So why do they look like this? And, and can you tell us a bit about what they do um, and, uh, and kind of why they've got this particularly iconic looking shape? Okay, well, they're called spider cranes because the outriggers come out and they form what would appear to be looking like a spider crane. Uh, two models here, we have the 295. Yep. That's the one right in front of us. And the one to the side of us here is the 376. Uh, nice, yeah. So, so why do they look like this? What's the particular design, like the design brief that, that's led us well, to kind main, of looking like this? The main thing is accessibility. The is to get a small crane close to where you're lifting. So because it, the, it folds up and it can travel close to where you're lifting, mm. and then you spread it out, and it gives you a lifting platform. Um, so where you need a big machine to stand a long way away, you can use a small machine and get to close. get closer. And can you can you do like multiple? Can you have multiple um, cranes with doing doing a single lift? So is that a way to, or are they generally just, is it just for sync kind of? Uh, they don't no, work in pairs. We do, we do tandem, do tandem lifts. lifts. Okay, yeah. Um, but the, 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 it's mainly accessibility. That's, okay, the, that's yeah. the thing, especially with the smaller crane. So yeah, because it doesn't have a cab. It's it's, it's like a, it's like hand operated we from an operative. It, we, we actually call that pedestrian crane. Pedestrian crane. Walk okay. behind it. Yep. But we. Uh, we often take the boom off, take the outriggers off, lower it into holes or put it onto roofs yeah. or put it in the lifts and put it on top of roofs. And then look... we reassemble it and we put the outriggers underneath it and then it's, instead of lifting from the floor up, we're from the roof down. It looks, I mean, it looks suspiciously like the width of the vehicle from kind of the outer track to outer track would sit within the bed of a track, like sit within the rails of, yeah, of, of a track again, so they can trundle along in the in the kind of the forefoot. It would yeah. actually fold it up, it would actually go through a double doorway at 600 millimeters. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, crikey, okay. So these are highly compact, pretty capable lifting machines. And they look they look pretty iconic, which I suppose is useful for, yeah, for, 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 for yeah. people knowing that they're, they are your bits of kit. a lot of innovation on it. We've, yeah, sure. We've got, um, that's a petrol engine one with um, a 410 drive motor as well. You can plug it in. But we could also, um, which we often do, is convert that to gas as well. Oh, okay. So we have three different drive systems on it. Um, and... We actually now produce them with uh, battery only. I was going to say, because so that seems to be the move. That's kind of the theme across rail life. This is, yeah, so you're looking at going for ba full battery. Well, we are full battery. Oh, you have? For yeah. a long time. Nice. The okay, yeah. ones as well have been more uh, colourful. They're bright green. Oh, well. really? Ah, okay. So, yeah. Tradition. Yeah. Absolutely. Eco, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 153, uh, doing what it was always destined to do, which is not carry passengers, it was in fact to uh, move uh, inspection kit and, and bicycles. Thanks, Scott Rill. Anyway, um, this segment is going to be all about rolling stock. We've got plenty of uh, maintenance vehicles, you know, inspection vehicles like this one. We've got a grinding train. Uh, there's a mobile maintenance unit over there. Uh, we've, but we've also got passenger stock. There's the Revolution VLR over there. We've got the Innovate UK sort of COP26 train over there. Uh, we have, what else have we got going on? We have got, uh, there's freight, there's the Orion uh, unit, which was actually in service for a short while, albeit very quietly. There's all sorts, Re freight, passenger, uh, and, and maintenance, sort of inspection stuff. It's all going on. So uh, that's this segment, rolling stock time. Uh, let's see what we can see. So I'm, uh, I'm in front of a train, and uh, not just any train. Uh, this is a rail milling train. You might have heard of grinding trains that scrape like tiny fractions of millimetres off the top of the railhead to give it the right shape, to make sure that you've got the right wheel rail interface um, and therefore you don't end up with a horrible ride and a, a rapidly degrading rail um, and also more critically rolling contact fatigue. Um, look up Hatfield. But it, the grinding machines only take a tiny bit off the top of the railhead and actually you have to quite often do multiple passes to get really in, in areas where there's a lot of, of kind of dynamic uh, damage form, not wear but, but kind of damage cracking on the railhead. Uh, grinding can't take enough off the railhead. Milling machines can. They are designed, in fact, let, let's, wander, let's wander along, shall we? If I, uh, if I cruise this way. Um, milling machines are, there's a picture. Yeah, there are, it's got Network Rail brand on it, which is nice. Although the, the, the Pride Network Rail logo doesn't quite work on that, but anyway. Um, Linsinger, by the way, uh, this, this is their machine. See bits, that bits. This is, this, is, this is a huge machine. Behind me is a picture of, there you are, of, of what it does, rail milling. And you can see it's got this kind of complex kind of wheel that, that basically grinds, sorry, grinds, mills and removes quite substantial volumes of steel off the railhead. Now, um, you might think, well, surely that runs, wears the rail out more rapidly. Uh, not if, the, if the, the primary form of damage to that rail is cracking rather than mechanical wear. So through, through curves, often tight curves, you get mechanical wear, uh, which is where, you know, you actually are wearing away material. That's quite predictable, quite safe as a, as a, as a type of damage. Through perhaps flatter curves, um, or, or sort of if you've got too much cant on a tight curve, you might see cracking forming, you know, fatigue cracks, like if you bend a paperclip and it eventually snaps, those sorts of cracks, fatigue cracking. Um, those are quite difficult to, I mean, we're better, getting better at spotting them with ultrasonics and now with, with eddy current testing. Um, milling is the way to get rid of those deep pervasive cracks. Um, and so yes, you are getting rid of um, getting rid of a lot of actual metal off the top of the railhead, but those cracks would end, would, would kind of, uh, you're essentially getting ahead of the cracks that are forming anyway. So you're, you aren't reducing the, the, the life of the rail particularly more than it would be if it was cracking. And obviously you can't run a crack rail in service. So, um, so this, this is what it is, is to get ahead of that, that, that crack formation. 
And uh, this machine is pretty spectacular. It's also very shiny and clean. Look at, look, how, uh, look how shiny and clean it is. They've really, they've really gone to done a number on it. It's very smart. So, um, so here it is. This is the machine, and you can see you can see the scale the scale of this machine. Uh, you know, this is two two vehicles. It's got four, 12, 12 wheel sets, uh, four bogies. Uh, each cocoa, so there's a three, and then in amongst somewhere is the actual wheel that does the grind, the, the milling. I keep saying grinding because it's kind of the, 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 milling seems like a strange word to use, but it is milling. You, know, you see the picture. Uh, in fact, you see the picture behind me right there. Um, anyway, right, Linsinger, uh, the their 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 milling, their, their rail milling train. Um, really interesting bit of kit. I mean, this isn't new, as in the, the machine is, but milling's been around for a long time. But uh, yeah, we're seeing more of them out and about on um, network rail infrastructure. So what, what, what am I inside? Well, hopefully a bit of a hint from what you can see behind me here is some, uh, some sort of standard freight trolleys. Uh, well, I'm going to walk through because I'm inside what was a York-built Class 321. And that's because this is Eversholt's Swift 321. Um, it is a fast freight uh, solution. Uh, and it's quite exciting. Uh, we're going to momentarily, in fact, work my way towards the front and see the cab. Um, this, is, this is it. So it's designed for kind of uh, palletized, containerized freight of all different sizes, types. It's ideal for like Amazon, the Amazons of the world. Look, uh, look at this like hilarious sort of old safety poster that's attached to it. They've almost like printed out the old one on the back. I quite like that. Anyway, uh, here we are. Look, it's the, it's the inside of the cab of a, of a 321. It looks the same as the MU cabs looked for decades. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to go this way um, and, uh, and we'll have a chat with the person or one of the people who's been instrumental in this uh, in this in, in this solution, Nick. Um, we're here outside a train uh, that has your name on it. So, um, firstly, tell us tell us about the the, the, the Swift three two one and yeah. and, uh, and obviously it's a bigger seat. I'm, I'm I'm jibing, of course, but um, yeah, tell us about tell us about the the three twenty one. Yeah, okay. So our project's about taking an existing passenger train that's now come to the end of its use as a passenger vehicle and converting it for fast freight. So we've seen the big growth in uh, home delivery yeah. Gareth and I think the key thing yeah, for yeah. railway is to try, try and get a small part of that market if you look at the number of goods that are now delivered every day by yeah. all the high street retailers yep. the opportunity to use the railway for what it's good at which is moving large quantities of goods long distance is, is clearly there. Now that we're because yeah because it's, it's funny Red Star Parcels just choked at the point where if it had just hung on maybe like an extra decade it could have you know just yeah. self-sustained so it's interesting to, to think about the fact that you know we've got these highly complex supply chains now that you know the Amazons of the world and other sort of uh, kind of these large courier sort of um, uh, ecosystems obviously describe it you know they have their distribution technology and the processing of it that presumably would wire quite nicely into this becoming a core of those distribution networks absolutely. and then you'd span out into the existing infrastructure at the, the urban ends right is that how you see it yeah absolutely I mean, we've got city center stations so we've got access to the centers yep. of cities um, but we've also got uh, regional distribution parks some of which are now being built with rail serve lines um, and there may be opportunity to connect other parts of the network yeah, as well. yeah, so yeah. clearly we're starting with an electric train uh, which needs 25,000 volt to, uh, to an electric not a bad place point. to start yeah yeah <laughs> but we don't really want to diesel haul it um, so we are now looking at a further development which is to put a small amount of battery power in it so okay, yeah, what we yeah. call a shunt mode so that it can then move off of the electrified network into a regional yeah. hub which may not be electrified yeah yeah, yeah nice so yeah I mean much as this train you know is is the sort of centerpiece actually so from my perspective I, I, I'm sure there were engineering challenges but actually I think that 
it's very smart inside. I've just done a quick walkthrough. It, it, that feels like it wasn't necessarily the most complicated bit. It feels like the, for example, you know, platform capacity is very limited in our rail networks, and actually, then wiring that into the existing space within a station feels like a challenge. So, what has been done? You know, what have Evershot been doing to sort of look at the whole system, not just the train, um, to kind of understand exactly how that'll work without you know and, and timings and all that complexity. Yeah, I mean, we, we are train specialists and train owners, and we're not logistics specialists. So, we are working with people that understand yeah. that business and the operators, the freight operators, yep. to see how that will work. Um, I think yes, there were engineering challenges. One of the things that we looked to do was to ensure that we kept the units compatible with the network. So by that I mean gauge clearance and weight. And weight. So yeah. we built that into the design. So the reason we've got a thick steel floor panel um, is because that is the weight, the equivalent weight of the seats. I so see. the reason it's called a 3213 is because it still is regarded as a network to be compatible with a 3213. So yeah. we've managed to keep the gauging clearance and all the compatibility. In place. Yeah, the, def the behavior through curves and all that stuff from the mass. Interesting, okay, yeah. Yeah, so that was our key sort of uh, concern and we managed to achieve that. So it it's retains yeah. its network. Yeah, because you don't want to go through that whole process of essentially treating it like a new train. And Absolutely. much as that might increase the amount that you can carry, actually, I presume there's a bit of a marginal gain situation there. Actually, yeah. for the marginal extra, you know, distributed load from the, the, the metal plate, you're not getting that much freight for this type of goods anyway, right? Which right, is it's kind of generally right. low density stuff. Yeah, if you look at the sort of uh, parcels you receive, most of them are free air, aren't they? It's yeah. all plastic and space, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, the train tends to volume out rather than mass out. So it can take up to 38 tons of payload, mm. um, but in most applications, you wouldn't see that sort it, of Yeah, it'd be full. It would look like a ball pit in there before you got anywhere near yeah, that absolutely. reaching load limit. Yeah, okay, uh, yeah. I think the other thing that Rail Opportunities uh, presents is one of being able to sort the parcels on the move um, so we can't do that in a road lorry you know potentially if you've got a train running from London to Scotland you can put staff on there they could be moving things around you could be dropping load off picking load up yeah. so there are all sorts of flexibilities that rail can offer as well as the economy yeah. of you know 12 train 12 lorries worth of equipment into one train uh, with one driver so, and electrically hauled. so kind of as a last question do you feel like the the the, the as you say Eversholt trains is what you do do you kind of feel like that bit's a largely solved problem now and it's the bigger system picture stuff that the logistics side of it that's that's the next step in the story do you kind of feel that's where you're at yeah i think so i mean yeah. we've built this train it's on lease to one of our customers and we've got four more that are just being finished and one finished its final test this week um, and, and those trains are now available um, and so yeah we are talking to potential customers we've got a small fleet we've got a number of trains in store ready to be converted as well so i think we're right at the cusp of this taking up. it's exciting thanks so yeah, much for your time nick yeah it's really good um hopefully we'll be seeing these darting around in, in whatever exciting livery the, 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 the operator might choose um, fairly soon, fingers crossed. This is Network Rail's mobile maintenance train. Well, actually, technically, it's Harsco's. Uh, hi, Harsco, folks. Um, this is a, a three-vehicle fixed formation, um, and it is theoretically trying to move us in a, in a new direction for track maintenance. Uh, certainly for sort of spot maintenance, it's sort of a localized area, say an IRJ replacement or something like that, you know, or, or a spot welding. Uh, this bit actually has, has skirting, which opens up. So at the moment it's within gauge, it opens up outside of gauge to provide uh, safe working, but still allowing for trains to go past on an adjacent track. So it's very, it's a clever way of working. There's a crane overhead that allows you to lift heavy stuff. 
it's, it's really clever stuff. There's welfare units in here. You know, it's, it's a nice space for people to spend time on. Uh, now that COVID's cleared, anyway, it was not designed with COVID in mind. So there's a little bit of little bit of um, uh, a, a pause in the trials of these. But they, you know, these have been around for quite a while now. There's only eight in the country, but it's trying to encourage that change in the way of of doing work. You know, so you roll this thing out. It's, it, because it's a train, it has signal protection. You know, so you you already have that that form of of, of overall protection, and then you can put you know track circuit operating clips or whatever it happens to be. Anyway, so uh, there's this intermediate car within which I presume is like the welfare and, and bits and pieces. I don't, yeah, I, I think the, the stuff that runs it is in here. But there's another, there's a kind of a big ramping, there's a ramp thing here, uh, which, yeah, it's, it's enormous and all, yeah, this is basically a ramp thing, I presume, for getting kit on and off. Um, and again, yeah, you come in here, there's, there's the expandable bit here. So I think there's a section, there is a section of it where it kind of expands out. Anyway, it's all sensationally clever. You've got the generating unit here, you can put all your kit in. Very clever stuff. Um, hopefully, I hope that we see more of this sort of thing rolling around. Again, as with the whole theme of the, this innovation, all this kit is not to get rid of track workers. It's to, to, so that those track workers who are skilled people who have incredible knowledge of the way the asset works can get on with looking after it in different ways. It's making far better use of, of our workforce. Um, it was quite nice. It's quite smart. Made in Germany. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there you go. Mark, uh, thanks for, for giving me a couple of minutes of your busy schedule. Sure, um, behind us is uh, probably amongst the best it's ever looked, 153. It looks very nice and shiny yeah, in that sort of sky uh, blue. And that's been for the last yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Right, obviously there's there's loads of fantastic kit on it, and we could talk, we could both you know get very excitable about the specifics of the technology. But actually, I thought um, rather than going into the details of the SNC inspection and all that technology, the interesting thing to think about is the um, is actually why a 153 has been selected, uh, and maybe a bit more of a broader picture about the network rail yellow fleet or yep. blue fleet. Blue fleet. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, so so first of all, so why a 153? Why a 153? Very very good question. So I'd, I'd like to say, well, uh, we've done a you know a, a massive uh, study into. <laughs> yeah, into what the best platform would be but to be perfectly honest with you, the 153 was really the only vehicle that was um, suitable at the time to meet the timescales that we were working to but quite fortuitous I think that we have chosen 153 so uh, proven to be incredibly reliable so there have been these two there's this unit and another unit that's in service at the moment been in service for six months now never let us down really? uh, which is good yeah. um, very very simple unit very very easy to maintain there's still a lot of industry experience out there yeah. to work on 153s there's still a lot of drivers out there that still hold a driver competence of course well. yeah 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 spare parts are easy to come by there are a lot of units that are being scrapped now so again you can you know sort of retrieve spare parts from that those as well but there are still a number of units that are out there that are in good condition obviously for us one of the key um, things was to, to, to choose something that um, didn't need a massive load of rework. Yeah. So, uh, you know, corrosion is quite a, an issue on these units. So we chose uh, ones that weren't, you know, didn't have significant corrosion. Uh, this one, this particular one is now coming up for a C6 um, uh, overhaul in the near future, where we'll be doing some modifications as well. But a brilliant unit for uh, an inspection vehicle. It does 75 mile an hour, so it can fit in with, with, with passenger vehicles. Um, also lots and lots of space underneath as well, um, you know, in terms of being able to fit fit kit underneath um, and uh, yeah just a pro proven to be a really really good basis for, for monitoring kit so yeah so i mean it's it's quite nice because it does look it almost looks the part like it looks like it's been selected yeah, yeah, yeah. for it. and yeah. you know frankly you know, I, I was i joked about this in the segment intro saying that actually this this is probably a better use for it than carrying passengers frankly but um the without being too much sorry to everyone who loves 153s um the other thing that's quite that, that, that i'm that i was quite interested in is um is the broader picture for the week is this going to replace some of the existing yellow fleet is it part of augmenting it is 
is, is the yellow fleet, network rail's inspection maintenance fleet. Is it growing? Kind of what's the shape of the fleet going to be looking like over the so next yeah, so this, term, this, the this, um, this specifically is, a, is an addition to the, to the existing yellow fleet. So this came about um, specifically to do um, S&C inspections, yeah. which, which aren't done at the moment by, by the yellow fleet. So uh, you know, we're hoping that we'll roll out a number of these, probably in the order of sort of maybe 10, 12, something like that. Ah, okay, yeah. We're also working on a, a, a PLPR version of this as well, so plain line mm. pattern recognition, um, again, to do infill to support the rest of the yellow fleet where they've sort of been struggling a little bit. Um, and we're also looking at um, doing a, a class 319 VIU so that can run through sort of Moorgate tunnels and places like that, so yeah, yeah. where uh, non-diesel traction or diesel traction is not permitted. Yeah. But in terms of the bigger picture for the yellow fleet, so I work for the um, the IM program and uh, we're looking at sort of uh, what the future of, of the yellow fleet is. Um, and there's obviously that sort of split into two. There's there's passenger-based inspection, passenger vehicle-based inspection, and then there's the, the core fleet as well. So that is going to be changing significantly in the near future clearly you know operating um you know with 50 60 year old locos and similar um age wagons um is is not not the way forward yeah. in the long term you know it is recognized that it is life expired within network rail it is not delivering the level of um reliability that we need um there's a, a strong push to where we can move that onto passenger vehicles but clearly things like you know ultrasonic testing um can't really be done on uh, passenger vehicles because of the the speed limitations and what have you. Yeah. But what does that look like? Does you know we're 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 going to we're going to be going to tender by the end of this year for that for that new provision that new service provision. Um, is that is that a wagon based solution? Yeah, yeah. Is that a, an EMU based solution? We're going to go to the market and basically you know we see what people that, reckon. That, that yeah, experts yeah. and uh, you know sort of see what they come up with. But I think. You know, in in the next sort of three to five years, we'll be looking at a much more sort of blended fleet. Some which will be regionally based, some that which will, which will still be sort of provided from a national pool as well. So it's definitely going to be looking very different, and it's definitely not going to be um, you know class 37s uh, pushing things around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the, in the future. Nice one, Mark. That's uh, that's terrific. Thanks Brilliant. so much okay. for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers Have a job. So the fourth and final segment of, uh, of tonight's show, I'm going to be talking about people, about people, you know, skills, how do we build and continue to grow this, this workforce that we need to run the industry? And we talked to the PWI, NSAR, uh, and in the context of the strikes, I think it's, it's probably a useful subject for us to have a little think about before ending. So uh, let's go and have a chat with some people. I'm here at the PWI stand, actually we're behind the PWI stand because it's very noisy over there because it's quite busy which is good. Um, Joan, uh, absolute pleasure to have a little chat with you. Um, this, segment, this whole segment is about people and about the workforce and about skills and experience. We're in a bit of a, a time in the industry at the moment where we are risking losing quite a lot of experience before it sifts down through. How is the PWI facilitating that knowledge transfer? What can we do to, to avoid losing that knowledge? What a question, Gareth. I know, that's, it's a huge one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And really quite easy for us to answer because we are the Institution for Rail Infrastructure Engineers, whether you're a young person, whether you're a more mature and experienced person. Yeah. So we hold all that knowledge. And a key part of our tenants is about knowledge share. Yeah. So we provide lots of opportunities for people to share that knowledge. And even if people are leaving the industry, they still got the knowledge in their head. They're still within our membership. Yes. And we absolutely tap into those people and ask them to keep sharing 
sharing that knowledge back to the people that are coming up in the next generation. Yeah, yeah, and we're and we're expanding. So you know, uh, until uh, I mean, not that recent because it's been a long-going process. But you know, traditionally, perhaps we people thought of us as just the track, exactly. and we've been expanding beyond that, and not just to electrification either, which has obviously kind of been a recent project, is to kind of absorb our electrification colleagues, which I think we've done fantastically. The conference up in Glasgow was a real success. Really good news. And um, where do you see that continued expansion? You know, what, what what's the next what's the next target? Who are we picking on? I, I think we have you know we are branded now as for real infrastructure engineering. Therefore, it's within that that those confines of that. And really, it's all about systems engineering, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and getting people to understand that yes, you may be an expert in a discipline, but you've also got to have a really good appreciation of all the other disciplines and how they fit together within the system so that you can be a competent and com confident engineer or person working within real infrastructure yeah, engineering. absolutely. So it's, I mean, the next, for me, it's things like drainage. I mean, you know, we consider it as track, but actually often they end up drainage and geotechnical engineering yes, often and end up kind of earthworks yes. end up elsewhere. Because again, they don't, like electrification, they didn't really have a natural home. And, and certainly our earthworks colleagues and friends don't feel like they've got a natural home given that it's quite, on railway applications can be quite specific, you know, it's quite specific knowledge. So, okay, that's exciting. So, yeah, no, Joan, th thanks for that. Really, Thank really you. good to chat. Um, yeah, also come join the PWI. Absolutely. Uh, if you're a student, it's free. Free, yeah. Join <laughs> yeah. our membership, you'll be very welcome. Thanks, Joan, that's Thank smashing. You. I'm here with Daisy Chapman-Chamberlain, who, um, Daisy, you've been hosting the, uh, or quite a few of the sessions at the theatre, um, uh, this Rail Live. What, what kind of interested you in, in doing that? What, what made you think that was, uh, you know, what, what kind of brought you along to get involved? I mean, it's Rail Live, isn't it? It's the event for the industry. Everyone's here. I mean, you only have to walk around to see the scale and breadth of the innovation that's on display here. We've got Innovate UK's funded Porterbrook train at the front, yep, obviously yep. Hydroflex, and we've got all sorts of incredible innovations on display throughout the entire uh, event space. Today. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge space. There's so much here, isn't there? Yeah. fantastic. And it, it's just such a good atmosphere as well. Everyone's so happy to be here. Everyone's so friendly. And it's just such a brilliant space to come network and find out what's going on in the sector. Absolutely. Thanks, Daisy. Well, incredibly frustratingly, uh, given that Ian and Catherine gave me uh, 10 minutes of their time, well, five minutes of chat uh, and another five minutes of me faffing around, um, the, the audio just did not work for this segment. Uh, it was just too noisy, even with my lapel mic picking it up. It just, and also partly, I think my lapel mic had slightly melted by this point. Um, Rail Live is always a series. <laughs> it's very hot. In any case, uh, this conversation was a really interesting one, and I think uh, I'm long overdue a trip down to to the our office to sort of speak to the team there anyway and see what they get up to and see how they how they kind of manage things. So, I, so I think you know, Ian is incredibly knowledgeable and cares a lot about safety in the railways. Uh, likewise, Catherine is really interesting to speak to Catherine and understand her perspective. I think it'd be good to have this conversation again somewhere less noisy uh, and we can talk perhaps in a little more detail about um, about how the RR is overseeing safety in relation to not just the, the, the change in, in the railway industry structure but also in relation to uh, the changes in workforce that we're seeing and the pressures that are resulting in the strikes. So uh, I, I think it'd be worthwhile having this conversation again uh, somewhere where you can actually hear it. So sincere apologies to Ian and Catherine, but um, I, I can tell you now it was very, it, it was very, it was a, a very interesting series of answers, mostly talking about using the common safety method and the existing legislation to actually manage the safety process. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of manage that transition, but also um, they were talking about 
the kind of individual approaches to um, to some of the specifics, which was it, it was very interesting stuff. I, I'm only sorry you can't hear it. Uh, maybe I'll try just dropping the original video in, and, you, and people can because you can just about hear it, but it's just not. It's really not very clear. Um, uh, Ian's voice hasn't, hasn't hasn't picked up very well at all. So uh, that's I, I, I can only apologise. Sorry, everyone. It is rail now. You know, you get what you pay for. So what, your R10, kind of, I think, highlighting the importance of Samaritans within the industry is that you are necessarily, it's a, it's a cause that Ian feels very strongly about, actually, personally. Um, Dave, well, firstly, the kind of this, the simple answer or, or, or sort of the key question is, why does a group like Samaritans have to be here at a, a rail industry event? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, it's twofold, really. Obviously, we have got a partnership with the rail industry in terms of suicide prevention um, on the rail network, primarily for Focus towards members of the public, but of course, rail workers themselves do have their own mental health yeah. struggles. So it's really important we have that visibility, and people know that we're here, we're available, and people can reach out to us, and yeah. we can have those conversations. You know, they don't have to have a conversation with me today. You know, there's cards they can take away, yeah, they can yeah, take yeah, away yeah. You know, a little bit of merch, and that can raise that bit of awareness when they're ready. So, you know, it's a, in quite a lot of ways, quite a difficult time in the industry, particularly for the workforce. For sure, is that something that you know are you noticing? You know. Uh, a higher level of, of, of let's say engagement with with Samaritans are you, you know, are you making yourselves available in different ways to to, to, to potential you know people who potentially worry about their futures in the industry like uh, any any can you can you paint the picture yeah so we always try and have that awareness you know events like this which um, the OR are really kindly hosting us at, it's really good opportunity like I said to raise that awareness um, because like you say it is a sensitive time for people and there are all kinds of pressures be it job pressures be it like the general financial situation be it the knock-on of covid so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. important now more than ever that samaritans have that visibility and are making themselves available for the brand industry yeah absolutely nice one thanks dave thanks for that i'm uh, riding with the man himself as we get <laughs> here he is <laughs> it's not it's top gear style we're driving and i'm interviewing you um nigel we, we were both we were both thinking that today would be a bit quieter actually and that yesterday would be the busy day it's thursday everyone and uh, it's been busy it's been really busy today i've been quite pleased with the numbers i, I don't know what, what do you think well it, it has i'm relieved it's been as busy as it has as is the case last year it's not quite as busy as the first day the second day is always yeah. a little bit quieter um, but we were worried with the strike and everything else it might have a major impact and it seems not to have done that it's I mean, we had over three thousand people through yesterday um, and the visitors that all that I talked to seem to be really happy there's a real buzz about it and I've just been on the Dura stand where Stuart the managing director said that they've had the best day yesterday that they'd ever had anywhere at any show in the last oh, 15 fantastic. years 15 uh, yeah. and that is really the sort of thing that we're looking for yeah. from you know to keep the, the, the exhibitors happy and to feel as though they've derived value from the effort and indeed the cost of attending so to hear that is just really good and certainly talking to other exhibitors they all seem pretty happy so we'll uh, we're already having conversations about what we do next year to add to the show and make it of greater impact and value and enjoyment and, um, and that all starts I won't say it starts tomorrow um, it starts planning, it I'm starts midweek next week <laughs> I'm, not to, I'm doing much tomorrow but uh, certainly next week yeah we'll absolutely. be having the first review meetings of what's worked and what hasn't and, and then what we do next year so it's yeah. all been really really good it's been fab it's just seen a lot of happy people happy and you know as with this event it's a it's it's an event for the people it's 
us, it's very much like the people of the industry are out here. Like, yes, there's all these whiz gigs, and it's fantastic, but actually, it's people meeting each other. It's that networking. It's that, and it's nice to feel like Real Live is now very much embedded in that calendar. People know when Real Live is kind of a fixed point in the year. It's good. Oh, we're obviously very happy about that. Yeah. Um, and the fact that the sort of unintended benefit of the top half HV is it's somehow a great leveller. Yeah. You know, whether you're a yeah. director, chief executive, chairman, frontline staff, whatever, um, you've just got railway people who care about what they do and they care about the industry. Um, and there's just a great buzz here. And, yeah. you know, we've done different things this year. We're just passing the, the hawks. Yeah, the hawks. Keep the pigeons yeah. down on the, um, on, on the big cathedral stations. Sadly, we haven't got the helicopters because they were withdrawn for crime patrols during the strike because the scrap thieves get to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's, it's still been a great show and we're, we're really happy with it. It really has. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Nigel, thanks so much for your time. You're very welcome. And I'll, uh, well, I won't, I'll see you before next year, but certainly I'll be back next year. Goodness knows what I'll be doing next year, but I'll be back filming again. Indeed. God willing, it'll be here in no time. <laughs> it's the end of the day on Thursday. Well, not quite, but there's still quite a lot of people around, actually, surrounded by them. We have had, given the circumstances, you know, I talked about the dark clouds at the start, but I, I, I think my general feeling, and I think I might have mentioned this a few times in various bits and pieces that I've recorded. God knows how I'm going to stitch those together, but we'll manage. Um, general feeling of, uh, this is an event for, for, the, for, for the workforce as much as it is about bits and pieces. It's certainly not exclusively a day for managers and salespeople and senior managers and, and senior industry figures. It's about everyone. You know, so I, one of the things I certainly feel is, uh, I think that was reflected in the fact there are people here um, yesterday with RMT tabards on, quite a few people here with RMT badges on. I think the important thing for me, I, I care a lot about this event because I think it's really good to showcase what this industry does. And I think there's no way that does it in a more kind of uh, compact, small space to show how much that the railway actually offers in one small space in terms of infrastructure. You know, okay, snazzy trains is one thing. Uh, passenger experience is clearly very important, but this is, this is about keeping the railway move, keeping the railway actually functioning. So, just had a chat with Nigel there. He's very happy with how the event's gone. Um, I'm, I, I, yeah, my, my perception is that this has been a pretty successful year for it, given, you know, particularly given the circumstances, but actually even on just on merit. You know, we've had numbers that are at least the same as last year, which is, which is really good. So, I'm gonna swap arm because I'm just tired. I'm running, running low on energy. Uh, <laughs> running around filming things is hard work, um, believe it or not. So, what can I say to kind of close things out? Well, we talked, first of all, we, we visited and, and, and spoke to some of the exhibitors. Just a few, not a big run through like last time, just a few of the exhibitors. I think I did a little drive around with, with Nigel, with my, me sat on the back of his, of the Nigel mobile, sort of pointing the camera out to show you the idea of this. And I'd give you an idea of the scale of the event. So yeah, we talked to some exhibitors and that was number one. Number two, uh, we had some plant. We actually, for once, you know, rather than me waving my arms around about it, I actually spoke to uh, some of the, uh, some of the, the, the companies that provide plant, you know, so we, we had a look at those sort of spider looking creations. We had a look at, at the, well, so we had a look, we had a chat with McCulloch. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, we had a look at trains, so we did. Hi. Hey, Catherine. Hi. Uh, we had a look at, um, uh, at trains. We had a look at some of the new bits and pieces, freight and, and all this sort of good stuff, uh, which, is, which is good. Uh, so uh, yeah, we had a look at the 153 as well, had a chat. Um, yeah, so, and then the last bit we, we spoke to, we, we had a chat and we thought about people. We thought about the, 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 the kind of the fact that the industry doesn't exist without people. You know, all this stuff, this isn't stuff just for the sake of stuff. This is stuff to make people's lives easier. Uh, stuff to allow us to make better use of 
our workforce. And when I say better use of our workforce, I don't mean shrinking that workforce. No, I don't mean that. Some people might mean that. I do not mean that. Uh, it also doesn't mean exploiting or reducing the salaries of our workforce. It means make it, we have a limited number of people. You know, there are so many parts of the industry where we are struggling to recruit. We're desperately struggling to recruit. This is about making better use of our skilled people so that we can expand the railway. Uh, government might not think that, but I do. And most of the people here think that as well. So, yeah, overall, pretty good. Hopefully a useful summary. Um, hopefully uh, a chance. Yeah, hopefully a chance to, to really... Give you a f I've still given you a flavour for the, for the event, I hope. Anyway, enough of me waffling. Um, it's time to say goodbye. I'm now going to... It's because I've, I've got this bag on, and it means the lactic acid is building up in this arm horrendously. The thing is, hanging this, the, the gimbal doesn't work very well. Anyway, if I hold it like that, maybe that'll work. So, oh, without further ado, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, for those who've listened in audio-only format, this might actually not work too badly in audio-only format, you know. I rarely say that, but I think this time it might work quite nicely. Oh, look, they put some pallets up to stop people cutting through the back there. That's funny. Anyway, uh, audio-only people, yes, this should be up uh, on time. I should be on top of the posting schedule. Let's, let's hope so. Next uh, next bit, oh, yeah, plugging. Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. If you want to support more of this, then, uh, then that's where to go. Uh, subscribe. And uh, not subscribe and like. You can subscribe to me through Patreon. Should we, should we just walk through this, this drainage pipe? It's always fun to do that. Hello, Aqua. The Aqua team here. Um, you can get merchandise at Masquette. You can get abolished the treasury mugs. Uh, they're flying off the shelves like hotcakes, apparently. So I presume it's because John Stone's just bought a bunch and is sending them to his, uh, to his chums. <laughs> Thanks, John. We have, um, we have paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis, where you can throw loose change and abuse at me. And lastly, of course, the Discord. Hello, everyone in the chat. Um, hopefully, you've been yammering away. But yeah, the Discord server, garethdennis.uk slash Discord, where you can continue that chat ad infinitum. Everyone, the only really remains after that. Oh, I'll tell you what. Um, I have, as in tonight, as in it's Thursday for me in my timeline, I'm about to record an episode of TF. So um, if you want to listen to me talk about strikes and getting very angry and probably blue in the face, uh, then you can join me on Trash Feature, the free one. It's the free one uh, will be going out. So you can join me on TF with, the, with the, your, your favourites. Um, talking about strikes, probably going out about the same time as this episode is. So, uh, yeah, do that. The other thing, uh, thanks, past Gareth, is, of course, uh, next week's episode, which is going to be uh, what is Very Light Rail, uh, VLR, and is it any good? Uh, I indeed did record some bits of that episode, this episode, next week's episode. Oh, my God, the timeline is broken. Um, at Rail Live, and then I did a load of other stuff at the VLR conference the week before. So this should be a bit of a mishmash, but it's going to be a bit of a... It's going to be a hybrid sort of pre-record and live one. So I'll dump all the pre-record stuff together, and then afterwards there'll be a bit of a Q&A. So that should be interesting. So uh, tune in for that. Uh, otherwise, I will see all of you next week for probably a live one. A, a, an in-person one where you can chat to me in real time. <laughs> From me at Rail Live as I begin my long 150-mile journey home. Cheerio! Cheerio!